Welcome. Here at The Bridge Church, we exist to help you connect to God, grow with family, and serve our city. We hope today's message will allow you to grow deeper in your connection to God. Enjoy the message. Man, well, we have been in this series on maturity, and it's been a series really trying to get us to understand that as we've been a church for three years, there comes a point where we have people who are going to be city group leaders this year, and we have pastors, but there really comes a point within the life of the believer that there's a level of leadership we have to take, that in our lives, spiritually, just like physically, there's a point where we are called to grow up. And in the book of Hebrews, chapter 5, it says, to a community that the writer had been operating with. He says, in fact, though, by this time, you ought to be teachers. He says, I'm not asking for your perfection. I don't think you have it all together. But there comes a point spiritually where you should be able to look back at someone else and say, follow me. And we just can't have everyone saying, well, who, I can't, can't follow me. I'm just, we can't have everyone doing that. At some point, someone's got to say, follow me. You're going to see mistakes. You're going to see things that are imperfect. But I am always trying to cultivate a life of growth. And you can follow me. And so there are habits that we must cultivate in order to be those kind of people that can teach and lead others. And what we said about habits is that they are the unconscious tendencies that are cultivated over time. That there are certain things that you're able to do and build into your life where people are able to see your lifestyle and see your words. And we said there are several habits that we believe that should be in the pattern of the believer's life. We said the first habit is really the gospel, that you should, over time, be able to have a pattern in your life where you're always accepting the invitation of Jesus in spite of your performance. No matter how much you mess up, you know he's always inviting you into relationship. That a devotional life is not based upon how good you've been. It's how good he is. That our love for God is not based upon how much we've done for him this week. Our love for God is stemmed for how much he's done for us. And you are always accepting his invitation into relationship. And then we said walking by the Spirit. That truly God has power. The, the Spirit of God is called the helper. And he wants to help you in your everyday life. But in order for, to have power in the Christian life. It comes from surrender. Every other measure of life, it comes from acquisition, from getting more, from getting more networks and more power, more friendships, more money. But in the Christian life, it comes from dying to self, surrendering moment by moment. And as you surrender to God moment by moment, you are feeling those nudges and those pulls of the spirit of the living God calling you to live a certain way. And then thirdly, we said reconciliation. Believers... Having long-term in-fights is demonic. Amen. Believers 
who are gossiping consistently and always getting in. They are always the problem of the community. You, I don't care how much knowledge you have. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. I don't care what boards you're on. If you are doing that, though you may be considered knowledgeable, you are immature. Knowledge, the Bible says, uh, puffs up, but love builds up. And so it should be a habit of your life that you keep short accounts with people. That you've created a habit of going to a person and talking with them. And you are more willing to talk it out than tweet about it. Praise God. That you will not text and you will not put some weird like subtweet up there where people don't really know what you're talking about. You won't do that because you value relationships because you know broken relationships invalidate our message. The Bible says we have a message of reconciliation because God has reconciled us back to himself. And so in light of that, we have a fourth habit. And this habit really is safety. Safety. When I first started walking with the Lord, and I came, you know, I, I was a football player, and I didn't know, you know, I didn't know any Bible verses, and, and everybody was like, you know, you need to share your faith. You need to go to Bible study. And then they said, now, you also need an accountability partner. And so that's what I did. I started to get into these relationships with people where you would kind of talk through your sin and things that were, like, not going as well. And over the years, I realized that the term accountability, I think that's what people end up doing. They just kind of come together and talk about sin. And it ends up going one or two ways. Either you have like a drill sergeant group of guys like, you know, did you fail? Well, then you suck. You know, and they make you feel horrible and just like, you got to pay $20 next time you come back here in these parts, you know, and they just got this like renegade for Jesus group. And then you got the all good group. It's like, did you send it? It's like, it's okay. Come here, get a hug. And like, we're just, so we're either all grace or we're all truth. And, and there comes a point where it just kind of becomes this thing where the presumption with the word accountability, it's a financial term. It's a financial term of like adding up books and making sure that things are adding up. And, and really what it's saying is sometimes when we use that terminology, it makes us presume that this group is going to change my, my habits or my addictions. Because I come into a room full of humans and we're all at the same place. It's, you know, I mean, oh man, I'm struggling, I'm struggling, we struggling, we struggling. All right then, see you tomorrow. I mean, what? <laughs> what? The real power in change and growth is when you have someone walk with you through all your brokenness and your mess because there is a subtle assumption in many of us that if I was honest about who I really was, you would decrease your commitment to me. So, if we can create an environment where you can find people who are safe, where you can be honest, where you could be transparent and vulnerable and real, and there you can begin to pray with one another. 
And you could come back the next week and say, we got to talk about this again. And you don't feel shame. You don't feel blame. You don't feel stupid for saying, I'll never do it again. And then come back the next week and say, I did it again. But you also don't feel that there's no law. You don't feel like you're being, like, like your sin is being ignored. That we're actually talking through this stuff. And what we've said is, we always want to create an environment where it's okay to not be okay. It's just not okay to stay that way. And so, what is the image that we must give the church as we consider moving to, as we're looking to move to Flatbush, and many of you were there last night, and we had a bunch of people from Flatbush at our event, everything you want to know about love, sex, and dating, and there's all these people coming in, and some people have never been to church, and some people have been to church, and some people know Jesus, some people don't know Jesus, but it said sex, and they were like, yes, and so they come to the event, praise God, I don't know what we're talking about, I just S-E-X, love it, and they come on in, and I don't care where it is, I go through a cemetery, great, as long as I can talk about that subject, and they come on in, right, and they don't know, and they don't even know, let's like kind of bait and switch, but we love you anyway, and then we pray right? And we pray and they're like, oh, but then it's a real conversation and they love it. But what they want is to be honest. And one of the most dangerous places to be honest is the church. The Bible says this in Proverbs 18 and 10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run into it and they're safe. They feel safe there. And so the imagery is that the name of our Lord is so protective that in those times there would be like a citadel or there would be this central place where if there was a war breaking out, you could run into this tower and you'd be protected. And when people come to church, that's what they think is going to happen. That out there, they say things about me, they treat me different, and I've got to fit into some kind of mold for my parents or my job or some standards that the culture has made for me. But in here, I can be safe. And if we are going to create that kind of environment where people could run to this space. The question is, are you a safe person? Are you safe? Can I be real with you? Can I tell you what's really going on with me? Do I have to edit it? Can I give you the raw and real? Will you treat me different? Because when I hear church, I'm assuming you guys are like that name, the Lord, where I can run to you. But here's the truth. Most of the people we deal with got church hurt anyway. And they don't see the name of the Lord as safe. And so what we want to do is we want to create the kind of place where people could feel at home. And they could connect with you. Who, me? Yes, you. The pastor, you mean? No, you. You mean the, the leader? No, you. Because a mature Christian becomes a safe person. 
you should become a safe person. The Bible says in James chapter 5, verse 16, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And so in, in, in 1 John 1, 9, the Bible talks about confessing your sins unto God, and he's faithful and just. But here it's talking about not vertical confession, but horizontal confession, saying that there should be this one another type community that we have that I could talk about my junk and you could talk about your junk. And then it goes on to say, confess your sins and then give each other a bunch of advice and then go home. Or it says... Pray for one another. That I could create an environment with you and just let it out and be radically honest with you. And I trust that you will pray with me and for me. And it goes on to say, the prayer of the righteous person has great what? Power. The power then is in what? The prayer that we are seeking an environment where we could be honest so we could cast our cares on Jesus, not just other broken people. And I'm not against advice and I'm not against encouragement, but the power is not in your perspective. The power is in his presence. The power is in the, the same one who rose again from the dead. That's where the power is. And so at some point, you need to stop the advice and start interceding. And he says this, the prayer, this is what it produces. When you confess in this prayer, he says there's healing. There's something about holding on to sin. There's something about knowing that you've got some habits and addictions and things that you just wish you could be honest about. And vertical confession is great, but there is power in horizontal confession. Power in honesty. Power in transparency. True power. And it is saying that over time, you become healed. Maybe the healing is that you stop all those endless nights of porn. Maybe the healing is you stop those endless moments of depression. Maybe the healing is you don't have those same kind of the same kind of baggage that you got from your family and your friends. But maybe the healing is as well that you become more confident in God's love for you because as you sit and you stare at someone in their eye and you tell them you messed up, it's something powerful about looking another person in their eye and knowing they still love you after you say it. It's one thing to see God and be like, God, I know you love me, I know you, but when a person does it, there's power in it. And it heals you from the wounds of your past by just creating a context of honesty and safety. Bible goes on in, in Psalm 32. He says, when we are performing 
Psalm 32 says, when I was silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of the summer. David is saying, I was holding on to these things that I wanted to talk about. And day and night, it was like sapping me like the heat does. And it was like my bones were becoming brittle. And on the inside of me, I couldn't, I couldn't be honest. Now there, he's talking about vertical confession to our Lord. But, but it, it works the same. Pretending is exhausting. <laughs> it hurts when your conscience is not clear. There's a lot of work you got to do when your conscience isn't clear. There have been times, right, where say somebody, you know, they start coming to our church and you know, they, they, the, the night before they went out, they were drinking and they were wilding out and they, you know, they were all up, they were all up in the club and they were just doing their thing, right? And they'll come to church and I'll see them after church and I'm like, hey, what's going on? It's like, hey, Pastor James, how are you? I'm like, I love you, yeah, we love each other, yeah. I'm like, so what'd you do last night? They're like, oh my God. And I'm like, nah, just what did you do last night? And it's like, I, I, oh my God. And they're just... Going through all these things, why? Because your conscience is not clear. And you think if you told me who you really were, that my love would change for you. And so what's happening is you're coming into this facility, but you are performing. And you're not free. And if you'll do it here, you'll do it other places as well. And what we want to create what I believe God calls us to is to not have you perform. None of us are impressed by your performance. God certainly is not impressed by your performance. What he longs for is an authentic heart before him. I want to just give you some practical ideas on what a safe person is like. Three things that I think you can offer to people in order to be safe. One is creating a safe environment. A safe environment is when I'm not gonna embarrass you no matter how ugly this is. I had a guy, he asked me to be his uh, accountability partner and, and so I, he, he had this uh, website called Covenant Eyes on his uh, computer. And so it gave me every single website he was going to. And when I looked on there, um, I saw every single website he was going to. And he was going to some websites, y'all. I mean, it was, it was all types of stuff going on. And stu stuff that, real talk, I did look at him differently. Oh, snap. <laughs> I mean, just honestly, I was like, wow. He is really struggling with a whole host of things. And I had to pray, because I I, you know, I've been saying stuff like this for years. I had to pray all this stuff back to myself because I was embarrassed for him. And I remember just thinking, God, if I feel shame from looking at this list, how much shame does he feel after? I I'm embarrassed looking at the list. Imagine how embarrassed he is after. No manipulation. 
I'm not going to try to trick you into growth. No oppression. I'm not going to keep weighing you down with verses and trying to make you feel like you're underneath me because unsafe people are generally religious people. I'm not going to come with the hard fist. If, you know, if, the, if, if, you are, if you are trying to pressure people with the word, then you think the power is in you. And the power, the, the Bible itself is called a sword, not me. It's the, the sword itself. It's him. It's I've got to trust the Holy Spirit for your growth and mine. And no gossip. No matter how crazy the story is, I will never entertain people with your junk. The other thing that a safe person is, they give you time. Now, mind you, what we said was, in the beginning of this in Hebrews chapter 5, that when I said, by this time you should grow up. But really, we're talking about at this time you should be desiring growth, that you should be fighting. The question isn't how long you're dealing with issues. The real question is, are you fighting? <laughs> That's really what it comes down to. Are you fighting? I mean, just, amen, let's go home. That's really what it's about. Are you fighting? Or did you, are you, just have you quit? And you are living in cyclical defeat. Year after year, are you fighting? You want to trust God for big things, but you are not talking anymore about those small addictions, about those things that you've just gotten accustomed to. And, and so there's, there's no deadlines for growth. And I think that is maybe one of the biggest reasons why we don't get honest, because there's a part of you that says, I should be done with this by now. In other words, it's like, there's some group, you're like, they, that's okay if they wilding out. But me, I'm on a whole nother level. And so you are embarrassed by your lack of growth but if we were able to strip open this room, you'd be surprised by the person you look up to. You'd be amazed. I'm not saying they're out, they're, they're out shooting people in the middle of the night. I'm just saying that, I'm just saying that I, I've, I've, I lead with a group of pastors, and we went on a pastor's retreat, and our pastors are jacked up. Praise God. <laughs> All of them, all of them, all of them messed up. They're, they're growing Christians, but I'm just telling you, they, they, they have issues. Complicated people need time to rethink their lives at a deep level. You are complicated. You are complex. There are many layers to who you are. And you just need time to grow. And you need a place, you need a person, you need someone to talk to that is willing to walk with you when you don't understand you. That's what the Romans chapter seven is all about. I don't do the things I want to do. 
you don't understand yourself. And you need somebody to just walk with you, pray with you. And what gives you time, what allows you to give people time is because you know God is patient. You know he's been patient with you. So you're patient with other people. You know God, if God had a shot clock, you'd have been, you'd have been dealt with. But he's been so patient with you. How can I hurry someone else up? And don't get me wrong, don't get me wrong. Now, there are standards, you know, and I, and I say this all the time. There's no, there is no room for adultery in my life, right? I can't just have the habit of adultery like, yo, pray for me, I'm trying to work through this. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, I'm saying there, certainly there are standards, but what I'm saying is, is that my thought life, my thought life be struggling. I need prayer, and I need someone to tell that too. I need somebody to be honest with. Sometimes it's good for a Christian to be shocked by what I say. Let me say that again. Sometimes I need to say something, and some people be like, ooh, I need that. I need to look at a person, and they'd be like, yeah, that's, that's wrong. You felt like that was wrong? It is. <laughs> Sometimes I need that. But you know God is patient, and so you're patient with other people. But the last thing you offer. So we can get this, like safety and time and other spheres, but the third one is godliness. You pray with them. You give them the gospel. You tell them how, how, they've, how there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You, you, you tell them that nothing can separate them from the love of God, right? You tell them these things. You bless them. You encourage them. And then sometimes there is a word of correction. And the only way you can get to that level where you can actually have the kind of honesty that, that correction brings about, that, that kind of environment, is you've got to invite people into that. Someone's got to invite you into that kind of relationship, and you've got to accept the invitation. You've got to be open to it. You have got to want to change, and you must realize that honest, safe relationship cultivate change and transformation. Anybody in the world knows that your deepest friends are the ones that are most honest with you, and you trust them in what they say the most. In as believers, we must cultivate those kinds of relationships. I, I, I'm always concerned if someone has no friends in the church. I always get a little worried. Because then I know that your sphere of influence may not be directed or cultivated in a godly environment. Because I can get advice everywhere. But godliness, the word, prayer, encouragement, Conviction from the word or correction from the word, that comes from believers. Mature people invite others into safe relationships and challenge them to change. Now, why is this so important? You know, we're going to start back up city groups, and I pray that we get into deep relationships there. We used to have these things called DNA groups where we would match people up in different groups. And it was very difficult. For some people, it's great. For some people, it's bad. But, you know, ultimately, it's very hard to force people into intimacy. It's very difficult 
to say, yo, throw up all your issues right there, Tuesday, right there, right then, do that. Just share it all, just all of it. Very difficult to create that. And so in some way, people have to start inviting other people into those kind of relationships. And the reason why oftentimes we don't happen to have those is because we've defined mature as needing a mentor who is super far away ahead of me. And oftentimes we suffer growth because we have a mythical mentor we've been waiting for. Or a mythical marriage. It's like when I get married, I'm going to share all my stuff. They're going to accept me for who I am. And so what's incredibly important is that we don't try to focus so much on hierarchy, but we focus on our need for growth. I want to just do something so you can just get a reshaping of when we say discipleship, oftentimes we think of a one-on-one relationship. And that can happen. And, and we can get those sometimes. But most growth happens not just because you, especially in cities and in, across the globe. You know, if you were in a college ministry, you probably got that or something like that. Or maybe in a, a different environment. But when you are in a sphere like this in the city, trying to find someone who you can just point to that's way further along than you and can sit with you and y'all can go to a coffee shop and read a book and pray with one another and then go do it. That's very difficult to do in an environment like this. And so we cannot just keep waiting for this imaginary hero type person that's going to be there and just be with me for all my needs. Now, mind you, we still need to get time with one another. Pastors still need to help people grow. But sometimes we just don't want, it's not that we just want discipleship. Really, we want a personal mentor. We want someone to be with us. And so I just want you to understand what the church is. When we say the the community we're in is a fellowship, there is a particular way a fellowship is called to operate. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, we get this imagery there. At the time, the community was being persecuted. And so to name the name of Christ or to even be associated with Christians meant you'd be persecuted. So the community of believers stopped gathering together because they didn't want persecution. And so here, the writer of Hebrews says, and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting meeting together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Notice what he says, it's become a habit that we don't meet together. But when he says meet together, he's not just saying we all come into a room and we're chilling. He says, when he says they're coming together, they say they're stirring one another up towards love and good deeds and encouraging one another. And so what I want you to understand is there is a huge difference between hanging out and fellowshipping. There is a huge difference. It's like, you see that, you see that game last night? Yo, the game, the game, the game. Yo, 
oh, the president. That's crazy. It's crazy what happened. Yeah, yeah. And we have all these conversations and they're mad servancy and you're a Christian and I'm a Christian and we never talk about Jesus. And what I'm saying is that a fellowship is when we end up talking about Jesus. Somehow, we just, somehow, we get to Jesus. Now, I'm not saying every time you are in the circumference of a Christian, this is like Jesus, Jesus. I'm not saying you always have to bring up Jesus. What I am saying is that if Jesus should be the center of our relationships, he should not... Sports and entertainment should not be central. And Jesus is on the outside like, hey, can I get in? Can I, I'd, like, I'd like to be part of the conversation. And because we are longing to not only worship but to be like Jesus, then it says we must stir each other up and encourage each other. And the idea of encouragement is that we're, we're speaking each other's lives, we're giving each other encouragement, and we're blessing one another, and we're, we're calling each other towards victory, and we're celebrating the life and the victory of Jesus Christ. But we're also stirring each other up. And that word stir, it literally means to shake someone like they were convulsing. It's like waking someone up towards love and good deeds that they would become a more loving person. And so you would say, yo, you need to go talk to that person. Hey, you need to help us out with this. Hey, somebody's going to move. Hey, well, let's go help them. Hey, go talk to that girl. Hey, let's bless that person. Hey, let's pray for that person. And you need to shake them up because just like Kool-Aid, and if you add those ingredients and you don't mix it up, it will lack the kind of flavor that was intended. What happens in the believer is that, yes, the Holy Spirit is within us, and we have good intentions, but unless we create a community of challenge and we shake each other up, we will not be what God has called us to be. We are called to stir one another up. And you've got to invite people into that kind of relationship. You've got to want that kind of relationship. And you have got to also accept that kind of invitation. You've got to say, yes, I, I do want that. But I'm just telling you, this is what church is. This is what a fellowship is. This is what it means to be in community with one another. And oftentimes people say we have great community, but sometimes we don't have great intimacy. And the reason why is because we, I think we have some great personalities in our church. But sometimes because we are friendly, you think we're deep. Sometimes we're not as close as we look. And that, that's going to come from us inviting each other in. And yeah, it gets real awkward and you've got to talk things through. But that's what a fellowship is. I wonder what did you think it means to get close to someone? The Proverbs... Say, Proverbs 27 and 6 says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. And you think about that. When you kiss someone, it's just on the surface. When you wound someone, it goes deep. And if you're going to go deep with people, there are going to be wounds. There are going to be moments when you talk and you disagree, and it gets really hard. But you can have a very controlled and ordered world and be isolated 
or you can open yourself up to honest relationships and have honest conversations. I wonder if you long to be a safe person, to be safe. Oftentimes when I talk about things like this, people say, where do I begin? Who do I talk to? I don't even know. I'm looking around like that person seems nice. I don't, who do I say stuff to? And I begin, it, it begins with praying and asking God. You know, we ask Jesus into our heart initially to begin the journey with him. I want you to begin to ask God to get people in your life. Say, God, I am open to the invitation of a safe relationship with someone. I'm open, God. I'm open. And I want to be open to whoever you bring my way. And they don't have to be a scholar. And they don't have to have more of anything. They just need to be safe. God, would you present to me someone who is safe? But in order for that to happen, people have to become more safe. You see? See how that works? So oftentimes people say, well, just kind of be a spiritual matchmaker and put this person with it. What if we all became safe? And to become a safe person, begin to pray for people, to begin to love people. Those weaknesses that you see right now in that person, pray for those things. Those, those moments that you see, those hiccups that you see in that person's life, stop talking about those things. Those things that you're seeing happen in our church, begin to intercede for those things. And people will begin to intuitively see that you're safe. Amen. Hear what I'm telling you when I say this. There is an invisible way you come across and people feel it. There is a way. And I mean, I'm telling you right now, in this church, as I'm saying this, people are like, who's safe? No. <laughs> Can't talk to them. And the wild part is when you think you're safe and the person next to you thinks you're not. Isn't that crazy? And if you want to become more of a safe person, begin to speak with grace. Begin to love people, but it begins with intercession. Because as it says in James chapter 5, verse 16, the power is in prayer. You want to be a safe person, become a prayerful person, and pray for the people in your midst. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that you challenge us to grow and you challenge us to change and become safe and to be more like you, God. And we ask you, Holy Spirit, that, God, I pray that right now that those people in here that are trying to find a friend and all their friends outside of this community may not even be good for them. They want a friend in here, but they know at the bar they can be real. They know that at their job, 
with some of their friends after work, they can be radically honest. But when they come into this environment, they feel they have to pretend. And it's getting exhausting. And I pray God for a spirit of rest. That we would all rest at the altar of Jesus. We would see his blood streaming down. And we would know that he has died for us. And he has died for all my messiness. And he's died for our friends and co-workers. But he has died for those confusing things in me. God, there are people in this room that are confused. Confused by their sin. Overwhelmed by their sin. And then, God, there are people in this room that are proud. Proud of their spiritual accomplishments. Proud of where they're at. And I pray that you would humble all of us at your feet. And for the one that is confused, I pray you call them up. And the one that is proud, I pray you bring them down. And that we'd all be at the feet of Jesus. God, I pray that our friendships would bring us to the feet of Jesus. I pray that when we spend time with one another, that we'd walk up right to the feet of Jesus. I pray, Jesus, that as you told the church in the book of Revelation, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone let me in, I will sup with them. I will eat with them. I will commune with them. And God, oftentimes when we are communing as believers, Jesus is on the outside saying, I'm knocking. I'd like to come into your conversation. I'd like to be a part of your fellowship. I'd like for us to talk about how you're growing. Jesus is saying, I want you to be more honest. Holy Spirit, would you create in this community a sea of safe people? Make us a sea, God, of safe people. And let us wash over Park Slope and Flatbush and all over Brooklyn that if someone is thinking about the Lord, they run to the church because they know it's safe. Make us safe people, God. Make us safe people, God. We repent of how dangerous we've been. We repent of all of our religiosity. We repent of our legalism. We repent of how we've been hiding our sin. We repent of our performance. We repent of how much our bones have been wasting away. We repent of all those things that we wish we could say and never said, God. And we turn not just to one another, but to you. And we are the body of Christ. Make us safe people, God. As we sing, as we worship, I pray quietly in your heart, you just say, God, make me a safe person and make me come across like a safe person. Make me, God, a safe person, but, but the way I come across, let people know I'm safe. Let them know they can run to me. Let them know they can run to me. I'm safe. I'll listen to you. I'll walk with you. I'm, I'm, I'm broken too, but I'm safe. Make us safe. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. We'd love to hear how God used this sermon to speak to you. Please take a minute to email us your story. 
Our email address is info at bridgechurchnyc.com. And you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by using at bridgechurchnyc or visit our website, bridgechurchnyc.com. Thanks again for listening to this week's message.